Amen. Amen. Thank you for agreeing with us with that tonight. If you're a guest with us tonight or if it's your first time, I want to encourage you to find that green connect card in the chair pocket in front of you. We'd love to get to know you and have an opportunity to answer your questions about the church. If you're with us online and you want to know more about Christian Life Church, please send us an email, info at colombia.com or give us a call in the church office and we'll be glad to answer your questions and make a connection with you. I want to continue tonight in the time we have left uh, on my series that I started last week uh, on knowing God. Tonight is part two. Uh, There is a part three. I don't know if we'll do that next week or if the Lord has other plans, but we're ready no matter what. Um, But our passage of Scripture tonight is Psalm 100. I'm going to switch over to this other mic. Testing. There we go. It says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And then here's that word, know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. And we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Last week, I just felt like the Lord was drawing me to speak on the doctrine of the one true God. And those three parts of that doctrine related to God's character, his attributes, uh, we realize that we need to start with the scripture first. We cannot base it on a personal experience or a preacher on television or a preacher in our local church. It has to be based on the word of God and what he says about himself. And I gave you many scriptures and many examples of how God would reveal himself to the men and women of the Bible And there would be a confrontation, there would be a wrestling with God, and then there would be a a revelation of who God is and his character shown to them. And so we we looked at many of those examples last Wednesday night. And if you've not had a chance to see that, I encourage you to check that uh, online. But tonight we want to continue with knowing God part two. And the central truth tonight is this. God does not reveal himself to give us theoretical knowledge about himself. I know a lot of people that know a lot of things about God, but they wouldn't know God if he kissed them on the face. He reveals and continue, he revealed and continues to reveal himself so we are able to know him, love him, relate to him, and live for him. So understanding last week that we have to find that foundation and basis in the scripture tonight, we're going to look at God's constitutional attributes or his natural or absolute attributes. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Does it have to do with the Constitution of the United States? No, not necessarily. I've got a definition there for you that might help you understand more about God's natural or absolute attributes. It says it's permanent qualities that belong to his nature. And those qualities without which he would not be God. So if you remove any of these things, any of these attributes of God, he would cease to be God. So that's why we are talking tonight about God's constitutional or natural attributes. So we're going to look at these. I think there's eight of them tonight. And we're going to try to wrap it and tie it into why this is important in our everyday life. Letter A on your outline, God is self-existent. 
He is not dependent on anyone to counsel or teach him. Isaiah 40 verses 12 to 14 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him or who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Now, of course, all those are rhetorical questions. The answer is nobody. No one taught God to be God. He was God before anything else was. God is self-existent. So he is not dependent on anyone to counsel or teach him. He also does not need assistance in creation and providence. Isaiah 44, 24 says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth. I love this part. By myself. He didn't ask for help. He doesn't need help or assistance. It's his power, his strength, his ability. And Isaiah words it so well. Not only is he not dependent or need assistance, but he stands apart as independent from all others. John 5.26 says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. That's just a, another way of saying Jesus is God. <laughs> And God is Jesus, and he stands apart as independent from all others. So that kind of is self-explanatory, looking at what the scripture has to say about God. He is self-existent. He comes from time and eternity. He, in him, there is no, there's no beginning to God. He always was, always has been, and forever will be. And he is existent in himself. And if you remove that character... From his nature, guess what? He ceases to be God. Letter B tonight, God is spirit. We'll break this down. He is immortal, invisible, eternal, worthy of our honor and glory forever. Immortal, invisible, God only. I've been going through choruses and old hymns and stuff in my spirit lately. And that just kind of erupted from my young years. I don't know all the words to that song, but it's, it's such a powerful doctrinal message. But 1 Timothy 1.17 is kind of the starting point for that. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. God is spirit. And many of us think about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, with the Samaritan woman. And... Um, you have to remember Samaritans were regarded by first century Jews as an aberrant cult and to be avoided. They would go out of their way <laughs> to stay away from those half-breed Samaritans. That's why the story of the Good Samaritan is such a shocker to the Pharisaical or Jewish mindset. The Samaritans had been forced to give up idolatry, but they had modified the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament to limit the place of worship to Mount Gerizim. 
and they rejected the rest of the Old Testament. So basically they said, okay, we'll take the first five books, we'll scrap the rest, we can only worship at this mountain, and that's why it was seen as an aberrant cult by many Jews of that day. Jesus exposed this error of their worldview by declaring to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. This worship would not be restricted by a physical place since that reflects a false concept of the very nature of God. Worship must be in keeping not with a place or a geographic location or a ritual, but with the spiritual nature of God. We don't worship God because we're at a certain place. We worship God because of who He is and His spiritual nature. He is other than us. He is spirit. God is spirit. So we must worship Him because He is spirit, in spirit and Truth And Jesus really nailed it on the head there with the woman at the well. We have to keep worship focused in a spiritual realm. Now his spiritual nature can be difficult for us to understand because of our earthly physical limitations. We are finite beings. There's a beginning and an end to us physically, okay? Now, yes, there's an eternal part of us that lives forever. And thank God, if we have Jesus Christ as Lord, our spirit lives forever. And we have heaven right now. We have eternity with him right now. That's a reality for us as believers. But it's difficult for this earthly mind to understand because of its limitations. And it takes faith to believe what we have not and cannot yet experience. First Timothy 6, 16 said, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Now the Bible does not define Spirit for us, but it offers descriptions. God as spirit is immortal, invisible, eternal, worthy of honor and glory forever. As spirit, he lives in light that humans are unable to approach. His spiritual nature is difficult to understand because we have not yet seen God as he is. And apart from faith, we are unable to understand what we have not experienced. Our sensory perception does not offer any assistance in discerning God's spiritual nature. God is not shackled like we are by the bonds of physical matter. We worship one who is quite different from us, but this is the great part. He desires to put within us his Holy Spirit as a foretaste of that day coming when we shall see him as he is. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. We have access to that day without limit through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit alive in me and alive on the earth and accessible to us right now. So God is self-existent. God is spirit. This is the one that really reverberates the most to me. Letter C in this whole teaching is the fact that God is knowable. 
Because I think that people know that God is self-existent or they believe that even by faith. They believe that God is spirit. They believe God's eternal. They believe God's all powerful. He's present everywhere. He's smarter than anyone else or anything else. But many people stop short and they're like, but you can't really know him. And this point excites me the most tonight because I'm here to tell you that God is knowable. He's just not able to be known about, but he's able to be known. And he's able to communicate with you and I. And he's able to share love with you and I. He's able to share purpose and destiny and hope and plans and peace and life and purpose and significance. He is knowable. It is his will for us to know him and be in right relationship with him. And because of this, he has shown himself at different times and in various ways throughout history, throughout scripture. And the most concentrated and focused manifestation of God's character revealed to us is found in Jesus. Jesus makes the Father known, but he also reveals the meaning and significance of the Father. That's why Jesus, without any hesitation, was able to say to his disciples and those he was teaching, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we know that God is knowable. Why? Because he did everything in his power, which is more power than we can fathom, to bring us back into relationship with himself. He came in the flesh. He put on a skin suit and he lived a sinless life. He was born of a virgin and died a substitutionary death in my place, taking on my sin, my shame, my guilt, and setting me free from that and not only dying but raising again from the dead from the power of God and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you and I right now. He lives to ever make intercession for us. So God's most concentrated and Focused manifestation of his character of being able to be known was found in Jesus himself. God took the step toward us. We didn't take the step toward him. God is always the one who takes the first step. He's always the one that goes the extra mile to get our attention or to speak to our heart or to show his ways in our life. God is knowable. And I want to encourage you to pursue a life of knowing him because it's not a dead end street. It's a life full of joy and peace and hope that we cannot have any other way. God is knowable. Not only is he knowable, but letter D, God is eternal. Now, the Bible uses words like eternal, everlasting, and forever in order to bring God into our perspective. Not to bring us into God's perspective, but to bring God into our perspective. Because we have to remember God exists out of our framework, our present framework of time, past, present, and future. Guess what? God existed before the past, and God will exist beyond the future. 
That's why we're in a finite spectrum of time and space in past, present, and future. God exists outside of that and sees all of it at once and and intermingles and mixes in and moves however he wills in conjunction with our lives and the destiny he has for us. God is eternal. We must admit that because we experience time as a measurement with limitations, a full comprehension of eternity is beyond us. But you and I can meditate on the enduring and timeless aspect of God, which I don't know about you, but that just leads me into worshiping him more because he's bigger than me. Humans, you and I, men and women, boys and girls, need to connect with something bigger than themselves to to find clarity, to find purpose, to find significance. Because if it's just me, that's not enough. I need to find my place. I need to make my connection in my relationship with God. And God invites us to do that. It leads us into worship, worshiping him as a personal Lord who bridged the gap between his infinite, unlimited vitality and our finite, limited mortality. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, says... I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite, Isaiah 57, 15. Therefore, completely apart from trying to understand the relationship of time and eternity, we can confess, you and I, our confession can be now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever. God is eternal. And he invites us to not just understand that, but take part in that. Because one day we'll be with him forever. Eternity will be a part of our reality at that point. And again, he's just giving us a foretaste of it in his character. So God is self-existent. God is knowable. God is spirit. God is eternal. God is wise. Now, in the ancient world, wisdom tended to be long in the realm of theory and debate. Wisdom was all about discussing and the Socratic method and figuring out what's right and what's wrong, what's moral, what's immoral, what's amoral. So it was in the realm, wisdom was seen in the realm of theory and debate. And if you have teenagers living in your home, you are constantly um, brushing up against this realm of theory and debate. Because they are trying to prove themselves and make their case and explain why this and why that and why can't I do this and why can't I go there and why can't I be with that person. But guess what? The Bible, that's, that's, that's secular ancient history, but the Bible presents wisdom in the realm of the practical. Our God's a very practical God. Yes, there are mysteries There are things we do not know and understand. There are things too high and lofty for us. But he's still a God who is very practical. And we can serve him in the day to day. And some of us call that the daily grind. I know it gets old at times. How many of you have been living Groundhog Day the last six months? You ever seen Bill Murray's movie Groundhog Day? It's the same day over and over again, isn't it? It just feels like, yeah, get up, go to work, watch the news, put on my mask, go to the grocery store, come back home, go to sleep. It's just... 
There's a monotony to this life. But God, in his wisdom, I hear, y'all are catching on now. Okay, I hear the giggles out there. God, in his wisdom, reminds us that he is a practical God. And wisdom, according to scripture, is the joining of the knowledge of truth with experience and life. So many times we experience life, but we don't have the knowledge of the truth. So we don't learn anything from it. We don't gain wisdom from our experiences. Wisdom comes when we experience something and we learn something from it. So we know, hey, that's not a good thing to do. Or that, hey, hey, that's probably a good thing to say when I'm talking to a person like this. Knowledge by itself fills the head with facts without proper understanding of their significance or application. But wisdom, see, God is so practical. Wisdom gives direction and meaning. To us, And we need that in order to follow him, in order to live a productive life. We need direction and meaning. God is wise. Now, pastor's done such a great job talking about the omnis of God, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience. So I'm just going to touch briefly on these tonight, and then we'll talk about uh, the Christian life lessons that we draw from each of these constitutional attributes God's omnipotence means he's all-powerful, but his power is intertwined with his purposes. Many people ask the question, can God make a rock too big that he can't pick it up? That's kind of a silly question. The better question to ask is there in your notes. Is God powerful enough to do anything that he clearly intends to do and that fulfills his divine purpose? Because God doesn't just do any old thing. His power is intertwined with his purposes. The unlimited power and might of the one true God cannot be withstood. It cannot be thwarted. It cannot be turned back by humans. Isaiah 14, 27 says, For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? He is all-powerful. And we see that in his primary concern with breathing life into the womb of Sarah when she was old. And this is what he said when he did that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's hard for man, but it wasn't hard for the Lord. God's highest purpose was found in bringing life from a tomb near Jerusalem as a demonstration of his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. God is all-powerful. And it's not just so he can say, look at me, I'm all-powerful. It's so he can say, look at me, I'm intertwining my power with my purposes all throughout human history and in your life and you can trust my power because my purposes are pure my purposes are sovereign and therefore you're good we can exalt him not just because he's omnipotent or all-powerful and his power is greater than any other but because his purposes are great And he applies his great power to accomplish his will. His power is not a capricious power. His power has a purpose to it. There's a plan, a design. 
and it accomplishes his will. God's omnipresence simply means he's everywhere present. I love the scriptures that describe the omnipresence of God. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Wow, he's using descriptive terms that we understand. He's saying, I'm not just a God next door to you. I'm a God across the other side of the world. I'm as close to you as I can be and I'm as far away as I can be. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. He fills all the space. That means he's everywhere, everywhere present. Psalm 139, 7 to 10 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God is present everywhere. Now, why is that so important to us? Many of us are like, yeah, I get it. God's, he's everywhere. It was important to Israel as God was revealing his character to them because most of the gods of that time and the other nations surrounding Israel were local gods. They were deities and idols and, and authorities that were connected to a geographical region. And so you had to know the ritual of the region or the custom of the geography in order to get that God to do what you wanted him to do, to bless your crops, to bless your children, to make you wealthy or healthy or wise, whatever that looked like. But God was saying in his statement of I'm everywhere at once that he's not stuck at a location. And that's kind of what we talked about when Jesus talked with the Samaritan woman. He's everywhere. He's not just at one place. He's anywhere we need him to be anytime we need him to be there. And that was a big deal. God versus the other gods of the nation surrounding Israel. There is absolutely nowhere we can go as humans and be out of the presence of God. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so, so thankful for that. In the midst of disappointment, in the midst of death, in the midst of doubt. No matter where I go, I am not out of the presence of God. He's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient or all-knowing. God knows our thoughts and our intentions. Hebrews 4.13 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and most of us stop there. The next verse, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He knows. If anyone knows, he knows. If your wife doesn't know, he knows. If your husband doesn't know, God knows. If your children don't know, Jesus knows. He is all knowing. There's nothing he doesn't know, hasn't known, or will not ever know. He knows it all. God knows our thoughts and intentions. And his knowledge is not limited by our understanding 
of a future time. Psalm 139, 1 through 4 says, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And Lord, I don't want you to know all those words that have been on my tongue. Because those, it doesn't make me look good at all in front of you. Romans eleven thirty three. God's knowledge and wisdom are beyond our ability to penetrate. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. So pastor, we've talked about God's constitutional absolute attributes. If you remove any of them, he ceases to be God. What does that have to do with me as a believer on July 1st, 2020? How does that need to shape my life? How do I need to respond or react to that? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time on here. On page three of your notes, the Christian life lessons. In looking at God who is self-existent, so letter A in point two coincides with letter A. I'm sorry, letter A in point one coincides with letter A in point two. So God's self-existence, this is that summary statement and how we should respond. God does not look to any other source for his meaning and being. So I would encourage you to not look to any other source for your meaning and being. You look to God. If he doesn't need a source, knowing you and I need a source, who's the source? It's God. He doesn't look to any other source for his meaning and being. So I would encourage you to look to him for your source, as your source for your meaning and your being. Letter B If God is spirit, then we need to respond to him by worshiping him in a spiritual nature. Worship must be in keeping with the spiritual nature of God. It's not a performance. It's not a concert. It's not a froth everyone and whip them into a mad frenzy. It's a leading people into the presence of God and leading yourself and hosting his presence every day in worship. That is a spiritual act. It's not a physical act. It's not a soulish act. It is a spiritual act. And the Lord wants to show us how to do that and show us how to worship him in spirit and in truth. Letter C, God is knowable. What do we do with that? God expresses his will that we know him By numerous invitations, we see it throughout the Bible, and he desires us to move beyond a mere knowledge of his existence to a knowledge of his person and purpose. Let me read a quote that I read, my wife shared with me this morning out of her devotions. It's from C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. And this, this, this ties everything together with knowing God, God being knowable. When you spend time with God, make a diligent effort to not make your time with God all about petition and intercession. And if you're an intercessor in the room, 
Don't be offended because there is a place for petition and intercession. But listen to the rest of this quote. Make room for simple fellowship with him. Ask him to reveal to you new facets about him in heaven. Not because you need a problem in your life solved. This is it. But because you want to step out of this world for a while and rest in the awesome glory of his presence and his kingdom. How many of us need that right now more than any other time in our lives? I need to step out of this world for a while and rest in his awesome glory, in his awesome presence, in his kingdom. And he makes a way for us to do that. God is knowable. He wants us to know him. I love that quote. Thank you for sharing that with me, sweetheart. Letter D, God is self-existent, spirit, God's knowable, God is eternal. He has chosen to reveal himself within our framework of reference. Past, present, and future. Why? So we can see him at work before us and behind us. We need to know that God existed long before my paycheck stopped coming. We need to know that God exists far beyond when my child strays away from the Lord and doesn't follow what I've taught him or her to do. We need to know that God's beyond our present circumstance in this pandemic, in this society we find ourselves in. Why? Because that gives us hope, it gives us peace, and it gives us comfort. And then we don't focus on the mess we're in, we focus on the God who is over all of the mess that we find ourselves in. We see him before us and we see him coming behind us. Letter E, God is wise. What does that have to do with me today? God desires for us to partake of his wisdom and understanding so that we may know his plans and live in the center of his will. That's very practical. Everybody asks, what's God's will for my life? You won't know it unless you spend time with him and spend time in his word. His wisdom is able to be shared in. He offers it. We don't pray for earthly wisdom. We pray for wisdom that comes from above. Heavenly wisdom. And God grants that to us. Letter F, God's omnipotence. God's power is used primarily for calling, shaping, and transforming a people for himself. That is the purpose of God's power right there. He calls us. He shapes us into the image of his son. And he transforms a people for himself. Look at what he did in Israel and is continuing to do in Israel. He's transforming a people for himself that they might stand apart and be seen as a people of covenant. And we who have been grafted in are the same part of that same family of people of covenant. Letter G, God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. The spiritual nature of God allows him to be omnipresent and get this, and still very near to us. We don't end up with a God that's far away that can't be bothered. He's right here. He's right here where we need him the most.
He's everywhere, but he's right here. And that's the takeaway from that. Letter H, his omniscience or his all-knowing ability. God does not grow tired or weary in his activity discerning our thoughts and intentions. I think some of us sometimes feel like, Lord, I've done it again. I know you're so tired of me. But God just wants to tell you tonight, I'm not tired of you. I don't grow weary like you grow weary. I don't grow tired like you grow tired. Even when you don't follow through with what you said you were going to do, I don't grow tired of that. I don't grow weary of that. The Lord is continually pursuing us. He does not grow tired or weary in his activity discerning our thoughts and our intentions because his goal is to make us into the man or woman that he's called us to be before the world was ever created. He has a desire to use our life for his glory, and he will. He will do it, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful of that. I want to pray for us tonight, and then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it reveals to us your character. It reveals to us your absolute natural characteristics that without them you wouldn't be God. It helps us to understand our limitations but Lord, it also helps us to understand your limitless power and mercy and grace and love. And so, Father, if there's anyone here tonight that just feels like they've totally blown it, Lord, maybe there are people here tonight or someone watching right now on the Internet and they just feel like I, I'm so far away from God. He knows my heart and intentions and I know he's tired of me or he's weary of what I'm doing or not doing. Lord, I pray that you'd remind him of your perfect love, of your great compassion, of your mercies that are new every morning, of your faithfulness that is incalculable. And Lord, I pray that you'd begin to draw us close to you. Show us that you are a God who is able to be known. You are a God that desires to draw us in, to have relationship with you. You're our source. You're our place of safety. Lord, your power is used to exert your will and for your purposes to be seen in our lives. And so, Father, I just pray for any wounds that have come from bad teaching or experience Maybe that the enemy has brought our way to shut us off from you or to cause us to be severed, ties severed from you. And Lord, I pray that those would begin to reconnect and we begin to feel our heart warming toward you again. And we'd be open to knowing you, not just knowing about you, but knowing you. Lord, show us how to be still and know that you are God. And Lord, teach us every day your characteristics that you want us to mirror in how we live our lives and how we relate to you and how we relate to others so that you receive all the glory. Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that does not know Jesus Christ as the leader of their life, as the one who's forgiven their sins, they do not know that heaven can be their eternal home and they can know that here and now. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to say yes to Jesus, that they would admit that they're a sinner, that they would believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
He's the Son of God. He died on the cross to save us from our sins and he rose from the dead victorious so that death, hell, and the grave were conquered and sin was conquered. And Lord, I pray that they would confess you as Lord of their life and then they would begin to live a life, a demonstrative life that they belong to you. Father, if anyone listening tonight or online makes that decision, I pray that they would come and see a pastor tonight or they would call the church office or they'd email us at info at clcolumbia.com so that we can give them more information about what it means to follow you and to live a life for you. Lord, the best decision we can ever make is to say yes to Jesus and to follow his plan for our lives. And so, Lord, we ask you to touch hearts even now. In Jesus' name, amen.